Hello folks, welcome back. I'm your host Simon Ward and this is the High Performance Human Triathlon Podcast where I can promise you'll always hear a Yorkshire accent and we will never have any adverts. We chat with our guests about peak performance, fitness, health, nutrition, recovery, longevity, relationships and happiness because all of these are important to you. Regardless of whether you want to finish your first sprint triathlon, set a PB at your next race or just keep doing the activities you love until you're in your hundreds. Last week, I talked about mobility and strength, two elements which I feel are crucial to your health, longevity and athletic performance. I also recently wrote a Facebook post where I outlined five areas where we can all do a lot to slow or even halt the aging process. And in this show, I'm going to dive into these a little bit more and give you some ideas for exactly what actions you can take. Now, in a week or two, I'm actually going to be starting up a new coaching group focusing not only on training for your athletic challenges, but also to guide you through the aging process. So if you're over 50 and think this is something you'll be interested in, please click on the very obvious link in the show notes to register your interest and stay tuned. Okay, let's get on with the show. Okay, so the reason for this podcast... I'm 58 now. In fact, in a week or two, I will be 59. So that next significant milestone in my life is 60. And I remember back to the days when I was 18 and 19, thinking 60 was absolutely ancient. And of course, now that I'm almost there, I think actually it's pretty good, really. I can do nearly all of the things that I did 30 or 40 years ago. And... I'm still having fun doing them, and I've got a lot of enthusiasm to keep doing those things well past the date of my 60th birthday. But I also recognize that I've had to make lots of changes. On a recent Facebook post, I asked people what they were most concerned about as they were getting past 50, and it seemed like folks were saying they were concerned about slowing down, particularly on the run. Um gaining weight, getting injured more, and not being able to do the things they wanted to do in later life. And I suppose if you let the aging process take its natural course, some of those things are probably inevitable that they'll happen. There was also some kickback from people saying, oh, I'm, I hate all the fact, the fact that I have to do all this extra work just to keep running, like doing a bit of stretching. Well, Um, watching what I eat, going to bed a bit earlier. Well, to be quite frank, if that's the, if you call it a penalty, but if if that's the actions that you have to take in order to keep doing your things you love, I'm pretty happy with that because the alternative is not doing those things. And I think I'd be way less happy if I couldn't do the things I like than if I have to take some um, different approaches. And I think really, What it means is a change in mindset. I mean, gone are the days, probably back in your 20s, maybe younger, maybe a bit into your 30s, where if you wanted to go for a run, you could just get your shorts and a T-shirt on, lace up your running shoes and go off without warming up or cooling down. Also gone are the days when you could eat pretty much anything with impunity and not have to worry about your physique or your fitness or your recovery. All right, that's what that's what you're able to do when you're in your teens, when you're in your 20s and when you're in your early 30s. It's definitely not what you're able to do once you go past that 40 barrier. But again, aging requires some adjustment. And there are two things that are inevitable in this life. One is that we're going to get older and at the end of that, we're going to die. Now, I would much rather have the first option of getting older than not being here at all. All right, so... I'm willing to trade some of the things I used to take for granted when I was younger, change my mindset and do a little bit more stretching and mobility and and a little bit more sleeping in order to keep on doing those things. I hope that you are too, because really it is the pathway to a really exciting later part of our life. And I know some of you are probably thinking, well, what, what a doom merchant, you know, he's talking about aging. You've got to accept it, it's coming. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm not a doomsayer. 
I'm just pointing out what research and observation tells us is going to happen. And you can either do something about it, which I think most of you as listeners to my podcast and other podcasts, you're enthusiastic action takers. You do do something about it. If you're doing triathlon, you probably look at your sedentary work colleagues and mates and think, well, they could do this too. If only they put the energy into that instead of spending the time doing these other things. Okay, so you've already shown that determination, enthusiasm. Just have to repurpose it now and point it in a slightly different direction. Now, I read a book uh, a year or two ago. It was gifted to me by one of my other clients. And uh, I've interviewed this chap. It's called Colin Rose. Colin runs a vitamin supplement company and he, he targets his products specifically to those people in their 50s and 60s who maybe need supplementation to help boost the, the things that they're not, perhaps not able to get in through the diet. The book's called Delay Aging, Healthy to 100. Um, I will put a link to the podcast I did with Colin in the show notes so you can check that out and also a link to this book because it's fantastic. And Colin's got some brilliant... Um, tactics and strategies there, um, as well as informing us about what happens when we get older um, to the body, to the, uh, to the to your DNA, to your microbiome, to your muscles and everything else. Um, he also has a strategy. A lot of it's based around nutrition. Mine's going to be based more around the sort of actions you can take physically. Um, so I think these two will complement each other. Uh, but please go and have a read of that book and definitely have a listen to the podcast. Um, and Colin's an inspiration because if you were to speak with him or when you listen to him in the podcast or if you were to meet with him and you'd look at him and you definitely wouldn't think that he's in his mid 80s. OK, now that is personally, that is how I want to be. I want people to see me when I'm in my 60s, 70s and 80s and think, well, he moves and he talks and he has the enthusiasm and energy levels of somebody who's much, much younger. Now, it'd be nice if people thought that about us, wouldn't it? I think so. Maybe some of you agree with me. Anyway, let's get on to the topics. So the items that I felt that we could do something about. Okay, five of them. I'm going to give you the headlines and then I'm going to go into them in more detail. So actions for anti-aging. Lift weights. Number two, increase your protein consumption. Number three, do less aerobic work and more high-intensity work. Number four, spend a little bit more time working on your balance. And number five, get more movement. So let's go back to the start. Okay, now these are not really in any order of importance. Um, they may be more or less important for those of you. For instance, if you're not already lifting weights, that one might be a priority for you. Um, but if you're already lifting weights, but you don't eat much protein, then that one will become your important point. But I would say we all need to focus on these five for starters. So let's dive into lifting weights. So it's fairly well documented that once you get past the age range of 35 to 45, there is a natural decline in muscle mass, mostly fast twitch fibers. Now, if you watch team sports, you'll probably have observed that most of those high level professional athletes retire in their mid thirties, or they're no longer able to cut it at the very highest levels. They may, they may continue to play and perform at a moderate high level, probably certainly higher than we'll ever get, but certainly not at the very highest level. So you often see premiership footballers and rugby league players and cricketers, um, no longer being selected in their mid-30s and beyond. Although I would say that also in recent years, there's been a trend for those athletes with the right sort of physical conditioning and mental approach to be able to, to play for longer. So you look at people like Ryan Giggs or Tom Brady played at the very highest level um, into their 40s. I think Tom Brady's 45 now and still playing for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as their first choice quarterback. So that's pretty good, really, isn't it? Um, in a sport where most athletes um, probably end up not playing because of injury. Um, so we lose muscle mass, mostly fast-twitch fibres. For us, this means that we don't have the power and acceleration. If you're a triathlete, you probably notice that if you're having a sprint for signposts uh, in your club rides, um, you might have noticed that you prefer 
long, steady training sessions rather than ones where you're having to really dive deep into those um, high power zones. And you've probably definitely noticed there's been a decline in your running speed. Even if you're keeping aerobically fit, you're not able to run at the same paces and speeds that you did when you were much younger. And that's because you lose the elasticity in the uh, around the joints as well. But a lot of it's to do with the, just the explosive and fast twitchiness of those muscle fibers. So that's what happens when you get older. It's going to happen if you do nothing about it. The process can be halted, at least into your mid-50s. So that the decline starts, it's very slow from the age of 35 to 45 or 50. You might not notice it much if you're really physically active. But after your mid-50s, you'll probably notice it much, much more. And other things that you notice are not only that you uh, are losing muscle mass, uh, you might weigh the same, but actually you might notice that you're carrying a bit more body fat, certainly around your middle if you're a male, and probably around the hips if you're a female and on the thighs. And that's because muscle burns fat, and if you're losing muscle, and you still continue to eat the same, then um, you, you, when you're losing muscle, your metabolism is slowing down a little bit, and so you don't burn the same amount of calories. But if you continue to eat the same amount of calories, then there's a surplus getting stored on the body. So there's a side benefit to um, lifting weights is that it will help you to maintain your metabolism and also help you to keep in good, um, keep a good shape and posture as well. So when you hear people saying lift weights to control your weight and you think that they're talking nonsense, actually, this is a really good idea. So we need to lift weights. You probably need to lift heavy weights, but if you've never lifted before, then body weight is enough. Air squats, which is just arms folded across your chest, is perfectly good. And there's enough evidence now to show that even one 20 to 30 minute session per week is enough Although personally, I would favor two or three shorter sessions, maybe 20 minutes per week. So the, the, with aging, that's what happens. You lose muscle mass, your metabolism slows, you don't have the same human function. So you'll find it difficult to do things that you might do in your normal life. Lifting heavy bags or boxes, pushing things overhead. Um, maybe grip strength means you can no longer unscrew the top of a jar or a bottle. The benefits of lifting, on the other hand, uh, are multifold. So we improve the contractile nature of those muscle fibers, which means that we're able to continue doing those functional things that we do. And let's face it, when you're in your 70s or 80s, you might not want to be lifting heavy stuff. But what happens if you are going on holiday and you have to pick up your suitcases? What happens if you are walking through the station or the airport and you're carrying a bag and the elevator or the escalator is not working and you want to walk up the stairs carrying your luggage? What you don't want is to be at the top of those stairs, absolutely exhausted or having to stop every few steps you know it'd be nice to think that you could lift your stuff up under the right and under your own muscle power to the top and carry on with your day that's something we probably don't think about at the moment at the age of 40 or 50 or 60 but maybe it'll become something that's more important as you get older um just going about your daily activities gardening moving things around the house become more difficult as you get older so that's the human function benefits of lifting. As an athlete, it means that you can build maximal strength. And when you've built maximal strength and you're a bit like having FTP, that's your absolute aerobic capacity uh, on the bike or your CSS pace in the water or your VO2 max for running. Um, but often that absolute maximum capacity then dictates what your sub-maximal levels are and what your muscular endurance is going to be like. So if you retain that strength, you're going to be able to continue making muscular contractions for much longer. And that means that when you're riding your bike, um, you're going to be able to continue turning the pedals 
and maintaining a higher wattage. And once you're on the flat, you can keep rolling anyway with a bit of momentum. But what about when you're going up hills? If you live where I do, that's an inevitability on a ride. And so if you're no, able, no longer able to push those gears around, then it's going to make it much more difficult to get to those hills. And maybe that e-bike is another thing that's just waiting to happen. When you get stronger, you're able to cope with things. I think, and I think I've got a podcast coming up with Alison Rose in a few weeks, the physio, and we're going to talk about um, why we get injured and what we can do about it. And I know that one of the things she says about injury is that often, particularly things like Achilles injuries and calf injuries, are caused by a lack of strength around the working joints. And so um, whilst we're not talking about being able to deadlift or squat heavy weights, certainly having the strength in the calves and the ankles and the hips um, will guard us against injury through repeated activities. Um, but we also get able to deal with things. And certainly if we add mobility in here, um, it means if you do something when you're riding your bike and you fall off, perhaps you're more able to absorb that impact just a little bit better and, and recover a little bit better. Now, I know one of the questions you're going to have is, well, how often should I lift and how much? And what type of exercises? And will I build muscle? And do I really need to lift, in, in the words of Stacey Sims, do I need to lift really heavy shit? Which is also something a lot of ladies are concerned about because that's what she prescribes. So let me answer those. How often? Well, I mentioned research says if you lift or do at least one strength session per week for, for, for a max of 30 minutes, that's enough. It is. Um, I prefer maybe two or three shorter sessions. So I think you can get enough done in 20 minutes. Now, obviously, if you, if you go to the gym and you spend all your time chattering and watching the videos on MTV and everything else, um, yeah, it's going to take you much longer. But if you are really, really focused and concentrated, you can get a little routine done in 20 minutes and that's enough. And it's more about the consistency. Um, you don't even need to go to the gym with some kettlebells or dumbbells, um, some heavy duty elastic bands. You can do these things at home um, and that will help with your focus and concentration a bit more. Now, what type of exercises should you be doing? I've mentioned squats. Great exercise for the glutes, the core, the quads. Deadlift is a similar exercise, but with the with the resistance just held in a different place and, and works a lot of those similar muscle groups. Um, I think that if you do some pressing exercises, so you could do press-ups, great body weight exercises. And if you can't do full press-ups, then you can do press-ups on your knees. Um, you want to do some sort of pulling exercise. Now, this is a bit more difficult because um, you need to overcome gravity so you need to pull something up away from the floor towards your body so a bent over row single or double arms or an upright row if you're strong enough to do pull-ups or chin-ups then you can do those um i love kettlebells and so kettlebell swings are a great exercise for momentum and glute and hip drive as well as um that hinging activity and i do favor talking about movements rather than muscles so i'm not interested really in doing bicep curls or tricep presses because those are very small isolationist type exercises um, what i'm really in favor of is exercises where you're using two or three different joint groups together because you get more bang for your buck um, so the more isolation exercises you do the more you'll have to include in your routine the longer it will take and to be quite frank, if you're doing a pulling exercise, you're flexing at the elbow and that's going to help strengthen up your biceps. And if you're doing a pushing exercise, that is going to help strengthen your triceps. So those muscles get a workout anyway on the way to um, doing that whole movement. And on to the Stacey Sims thing that do I need to lift really heavy shit? Well, you know, lifting heavily Oh, heavy weights will help with your ability to build fast twitch muscle fiber and build muscle. But there is a, um, for that pro, there is a con. And the con to that is that you need good technique in order to be able to lift heavy weights. If you try to do a deadlift and 
you've got bad technique, there's a big, a bigger possibility that you're going to get injured. And if you get injured and you hurt your back, then you're not going to be able to do any lifting. So um, I would say lift light. If you've not been doing anything before, even if you lift a lightweight, that's going to have a stimulus and that's going to lead to a response. And over time, as your technique improves, then you can start to lift heavier and heavier. But don't please don't be thinking that you need to lift really heavy shit to start with. And as I said, you don't need to go to the gym. If you like the gym and you like the social atmosphere, then that's great. But remember that that social atmosphere generally comes at a cost and that cost is it'll take you longer to get through your workouts. Now, the other question or concern I hear from triathletes specifically and runners and cyclists is, well, I'm going to gain weight and I'm going to gain, I'm going to gain muscle. That means I'm going to get heavier. So that's going to affect my swim. Okay, that's not necessarily the case. If you're doing a lot of aerobic work and that's at one end of the spectrum, high level endurance, slow twitch fibers, burning fats versus highly anaerobic, fast twitch movements, burning glycogen. They're at the opposite ends of the spectrum and the high amount of aerobic work that you do is going to counteract the, the your ability to build muscle. And to be quite frank, again, you have to eat an awful lot of food in order for that muscle to, to flourish. Now, that doesn't mean that you're not going to put on a few grams. You may even gain a kilo or two, but I would think that for the majority of people, gaining a couple of kilos of muscle rather than a couple of pounds of fat due to your altered metabolism it is probably preferable. Um, one thing you want to be concerned about and guard against is going at this too hard too soon because you're probably going to get sore and tight around. If you're doing press-ups, you're going to get sore around the chest. If you're doing lots of squats or deadlifts, you're probably going to get sore and tight around the hips and the lower back. And that's that will have an impact on your ability to run and swim freely to start with. So go at this nice and gently and just build it up slowly. So how do you start? Well, you start with what I was always taught as a fitness instructor is low and slow. A low number of reps and slow progress to increase the weight. In the initial stages, you you will feel a lot stronger within a week or two. And the reason for that is not because you're gaining muscle and just able to lift more. It's because muscle fibers become more coordinated. It's like a choir. Everybody starts singing together on the first week. It just sounds like a cat's chorus of wailing and howling. But as those people learn to coordinate and harmonize, it starts to sound really good. Well, that's what muscle fibers are like. They, they, they don't work together to start with. And so um, they learn to coordinate their contractions. And over a few weeks, you'll start to feel stronger. OK, so that will happen naturally as you lift more. But the temptation is to put the weight up very quickly. And that's when you've got the greater risk of injury and the greater risk of muscle soreness. So please be careful about that. Be patient. Take your time. If you've not been doing anything to this point, remember, once a week is going to lead to a stimulus and you can slowly increase that as you get the hang of it. Um, so it doesn't need to be heavy. You need to do this frequently. If you can do it every third day, so lift on Monday, lift on Thursday, lift on Sunday, then on Tuesday, then on Friday, and then repeat that five times over um, two weeks. And just keep repeating that process. That's fine. Do it as a warm-up before you go out running or before you go out on your bike. Um, work out at home if you can. Um, that will save you a lot of time and also a lot of money with gym memberships. And with the outcome that you're just building resilience, okay? You don't need to turn yourself into a bodybuilder and that's what you really want. So it's important to maybe write down what your long-term goal is from doing this. For me, it's anti-aging, it's avoiding injury, it's helping with my recovery. And it also helps with other stuff like posture and metabolism, all right? So there's lots of benefits from this. So the routine I would follow and um, I can share some of these with you if you like. I'll put something in the uh, in the show notes to share a little routine. One to three times a week, a maximum of 10 to 15 minutes, focusing on movements, not muscles. So I have a few routines that I do with the kettlebells, which have three movements. One of my favorites is 
kettlebell swings straight into what I call goblet squats. And as I come out of the goblet squats, I push the kettlebell overhead, bring the kettlebell back to nestle in my two hands just below my chin, go into my goblet squat, come up, push up. And so that is one squat to press, one kettlebell swing. That movement, I do 15 kettlebell swings, five squats, five presses, takes about 75 seconds. And I start that every two minutes. I do five rounds. It takes no more than 10 minutes and that's me done. Now, there's another way. If you don't have, if you don't even have 10 minutes, another way is to do what's called creasing the groove. Do a set of kettlebell swings and a set of squat to press every couple of hours. You could do that throughout the day. You've amassed those five rounds like I just talked about, but it's taking you over the day. And now you've done the lift and it hasn't intruded on your timetable at all. All right, now this is, I could go into a lot more on this. Uh, I've done plenty of podcasts about strength training, um, either recorded by myself or with other people. I'll put links to those in the show notes. But for now, that's that's what I would say about lifting weights. Make sure you do it. Start slow, lift frequently, create some overload. Don't worry about lifting heavy shit or try greasing the groove. And focus on movements, not muscles. Okay, so the next thing we need to talk about is moving more. Now, this is closely related to the strength work we've just talked about. Now, before you express your alarm that I'm asking you as endurance athletes to move more, please listen to what I've got to say next and hear me out. There is a phenomenon known as the active couch potato. It was a phrase used on the back of some research in Australia where they looked at the daily movement habits of folks who exercised early in the morning or in the afternoon or both. So think about your typical endurance athlete. They have a nine to five job, which involves some commuting. So a typical observation might be that they get up in the mornings quite early and do 30 to 60 minutes worth of exercise before they head off to work. Now, I've been in that position myself, and I'm sure you have. And another typical behavior pattern then is for that person to arrive at their desk feeling maybe a bit morally superior to their sedentary work colleagues thinking, well, I've already done my exercise for today. So it doesn't matter if I sit at my desk all day because mine is done. And look at you folks, you haven't done any exercise. You just got up, had your breakfast, got in your car and driven to work, and now you're going to sit around. But what they found was the folks who exercised did indeed tend to sit at their desk most of the day. And the folks who didn't exercise were more likely to just potter around the office, maybe walk around to different desks, shuffling papers, delivering files, going to the coffee machine or the water fountain and having a conversation, maybe going to the bathroom, right? But they actually did more moving around during the day. Now, if that's you, then my recommendation is that for the benefit of your health, um, as well as your morning exercise, which I'd highly recommend you continue, you need to add some more movement in to your day. If you have a job where you are required to sit for long periods of time, you may want to explore ways in which you can get up from your seat. Now, I appreciate that if you're a long distance lorry driver, if you're a train driver um, or maybe you work in a call center, it might not be possible to do this um, at will because you have specific safety and performance requirements in your job. And so perhaps I'm not thinking about you here, although what I would do is ask you to explore ways in which you can stand up and move around as often as possible. But for those of you who do have control over what you do in your day, swim, bike and run is not enough, especially if you're seated most of the day. And if after work, you are then driving to and from your 
home or you're getting the train or you're sitting on a bus, then that's even more sitting. And especially if you have the habit of sitting around in the evening. Um, so think about ways in which you can get away from your desk. Now, the other thing about swim, bike and run, uh, okay, swimming does have a little bit of rotational movement, but it's mostly what we call sagittal plane. You're going in a forward direction and the movements are highly repetitive. You think about swimming, most people, especially triathletes, will do um, the front crawl stroke. So their arms are going to be moving through the same motion. For most people, not in a particularly efficient way. And so this is putting strain on the muscles and particularly the joints. Um, running also straight ahead, cycling straight ahead, but you're also fixed into position by your feet, by the saddle and by the handlebars. So even less um, rotational work and virtually no lateral work as well. So exercise that you do do has to have those other two planes of motion included. One of the opportunities for moving more is called grease the groove. Now you can put an alarm onto your phone. Most most gadgets, most watches and most phones, and if you're using an Apple um, watch, then you can use that as well. You can set an alarm to go off every 45 to 60 minutes. And you can use what's called a Pomodoro app, um, which is which was designed for this particular purpose to get you to move more. And you can then get away from your desk and do even a minute's worth of exercise. So you could be doing some jumping jacks, you could do some press-ups. It's your choice. And if we're going back to that whole point about the strength and conditioning that we were talking about doing something on the hour or every two hours, then you could fit one of those exercises in. You could do some stretching. You could, if you're going to go to the bathroom and you're in an office where they've got several floors, you can choose to go up to the next floor and use the stairs. It's up to you what you choose, but just get out of your desk and move. If you're driving regularly, take the opportunity for frequent stops. It's something that's recommended by the AA so you don't fall asleep at the wheel. So uh, make the most of that, and, and which might mean setting off a little earlier, but you'll be much healthier and you'll arrive in good condition. Think about life movements. Sitting on the floor, kneeling on the floor, getting up, walking upstairs. These are all things we need to remind our body how to do and how to do effectively. So we should take the opportunity. If you're ever in a position where there's an opportunity to take either the escalator or the stairs, take the stairs. You'll move more. Okay. So some very simple stuff. If you have two bathrooms at home and you sat downstairs, go upstairs. Okay. That little flight of stairs over time will make a massive difference. In terms of things that we need to think about for sport particularly and um, areas of the skeleton and uh, certain joints, in the swim, think about the thoracic spine. So that's the rib cage and the thorax. Even sitting in on the edge of a seat, put your hands on your thighs and then rotate your chest and your sternum from right to left, sliding your hands backward and forwards along your spine that sort of stuff, to some more complex um, mobility movements. Think about the shoulder, but not just the shoulder joint, but also the complex, which involves the um, shoulder blades as well. Um, think about your hips and your hip flexion. Um, and think about the ankles as well. Um, so just sitting on your heels is uh, a particularly good exercise. For the bike, we need to focus on loosening off those hip flexors. We need to strengthen and mobilize the glutes, um, the gluteus maximus and medius. Um, we need to uh, make sure we lengthen those hamstrings a little bit and we need to pay a particular attention to the lower back. And then for running, particularly, we want to work on things around the, the ankles and the feet and the calves, the quadriceps, and again, the hip flexors. Okay, so how would I recommend this? Well, even if you're not running or swimming in the morning, I definitely recommend you do some morning mobility, just as, uh, as little as 10 minutes when you first get out of bed. I've got a lovely little eight-part um, mobility program that you can do in less than 10 minutes every morning, and uh, there'll be a, a link to, to download that below in the show notes. Um, follow the Grease the Groove. Do some sports-specific um, movement patterns and mobility before and after workouts. Um Reduce the time that you spend on your swimming, biking and running um, and add a bit more mobility in, particularly as you get older, so that you move better during those sessions.
Okay, you can afford to do a little bit less. When you're at home, sit on sit on the floor, not the chair. Stand more, kneel more, get yourself a yoga mat and just roll around on that and, and do some different exercises. And if you are in an office and you're in front of a computer all day, please seriously think about if you have control over this, investing in something like a stand-up desk, a, a movable stand-up desk, so you can adjust the position, or ask your boss or the company to invest in something for your health and stress management. Okay, I have included a link to my own stand-up desk in the show notes as well. Um, I, it's a good investment, even if you spend three or four hundred pounds. Think about all the things that you spend money on over the years um, and over the year, and the cost of a good stand-up desk will pale into insignificance alongside those. So that's move more. Find time to build it into your day. And if you have a choice between strength and mobility, I would say that mobility is probably more important. Get more out of the body and the strength you have before you start adding more strength. Now, in line with strength and mobility, we have balance. Now, you might think that is an odd thing to be putting in here, but a recent study published in the British Journal of Sports Medicine, and I have included a link in the show notes, found that the ability to stand on one leg for 10 seconds predicted a longer lifespan. Now, you can read the abstract from the survey, uh, the research, but basically what they were saying is if they, if they took a group of 100 people and they measured how long and timed how long they could spend on one leg, both the right and the left, some folks were not able to stand on one leg for more than a second before they lost the balance. Others could do it, obviously, for longer than 10 or 20 seconds. And then when they tracked those folks over time, of course, some of those folks would uh, pass on um, and die through natural causes, through um, disease, through accidents. But there was still a huge correlation between the longevity of those folks and the amount of time they could stand on one leg. And the reason for this is that longevity in folks who are over the age of, say, 65, is closely related to fractures, particularly hip fractures and shoulder fractures. And for those folks, then hospitalization and then prolonged recovery. And I think there's quite a high percentage of people who have a hip fracture that don't survive more than 12 months. So think about that in terms of mortality. Now that 65, I mentioned that I'm sort of fast approaching 60 in the next 13 months, um, but 65 is still a bit of a way off. For some of you, it might be even longer, but for some of you listening, it might not be. And um, you might think that, you know, it's too early to be thinking about balance. It's never too early. And I'm going to explain how it's going to improve your athletic performance in just a moment. When I was a fitness instructor, one of the things that we used to see with clients who came into the gym, particularly old ladies, older ladies, but not exclusively, was this brittle bone disease known as osteoporosis. Now, there's nothing that we could do with regular exercise that would reverse um, that disease. We couldn't encourage them to lift weights and thereby help them to improve the situation but what we could do is we can improve their balance and we could improve the stability so that when they were moving around particularly on uneven surfaces we could reduce the potential for them falling over and obviously if you don't fall over and land heavily you're not going to fracture your hip watch an old person walk often i think about my dad now even walking on flat surfaces is a challenge picking their feet up to go over obstacles like um, the the, uh, the door jam at the bottom of the front or back door, um, going up small steps, certainly outside, even just stepping over something as innocuous as a tree branch or um, picking the, or walking along the uneven surface, you know, the uneven path in the garden becomes a challenge. Um, 
But think about if you're an athlete running through the woods um, and how you need to have good balance there and you need to be able to pick your feet up. And maybe you've experienced when you've been tired, not picking your feet up as effectively tripping over and falling heavily. All right. For older people, also, when you lose that muscle power, you also lose the coordination, speed of coordination. Sometimes there's a speed of thought as well. And so you lose the dexterity of your feet, which means that if you do trip on something, even if you're tripping over your own foot or treading on a loose shoelace um, or tripping over the dog or the cat, for instance, or, or a pair of shoes that's on the floor in the house uh, or the corner of a chair, you need to be able to move your feet quickly to get underneath your body to keep you upright. And if you don't have that foot dexterity, um, then you're not able to regain your upright position. You're going to fall over. And if you're in the house, there's a good chance you're going to land on something. So there's a whole host of reasons why balancing is hugely important for your long-term health. As an athlete, think about running. Running is essentially quick transference of weight from left to right feet. And when you heard a commentator talk about this athlete or that athlete that's beautifully balanced, that's because they are. They move gracefully, planting their weight from one foot and moving it onto the other at speed across any surface. So if you struggle to stand on one leg when you're stationary and there's nothing challenging you. How effective are you going to be as a runner when you have to transfer that weight quickly and be balanced? I would say not as good as you could be. So moving or balancing on one leg, being able to balance on one leg and stand with the other knee raised out in front of you in what's known as the staff position. And then from that position, turn your head to the right and to the left so that you're changing the way your eyes look at the horizon and maintain your balance is quite difficult to start with. I know Malcolm Brown used to do this with all the um, triathletes in Leeds before their running sessions. So I recommend uh, daily balancing uh, activity. It needn't take much time. And actually, you could do this while you're brushing your teeth, making a couple of tea. Um, it, you could do it with what's called perturbation. So you, you stand on one leg and you get somebody just to tap you on the shoulder and affect your balance. They're not, you're not trying to push you over. They're just gently tapping you on the shoulder and exerting a force from out, uh, outside that you have to respond to. Um, stand in the staff position and rotate your torso to the left and right. Try standing on one leg with your eyes closed. And not only will this improve your balance, you probably feel to start with that you're moving around a lot on your foot um, learning how to spread the weight evenly between the base of the big toe, little toe and the heel is really good, but you'll also improve your ankle strength. So I would definitely advocate lots of balance work. And when I talked about mobility and the opportunity to get out of, away from your desk and stand up for a bit, maybe you could stand up and do some balance work at the same, same time, thereby combining these two in one go. All right, so the next thing we need to talk about is increasing protein consumption. Now, we haven't talked much about how or why your nutritional approach might need to change with age, but upping your daily protein intake would be a huge benefit. When I do my nutrition coaching programs or when I speak with the athletes that I coach and we talk about their daily intake of macronutrients and particularly if they were to send me their food food diary for a few days what we find is that most folks do not consume enough protein and if they do consume protein it's generally back-ended so you see most most people will consume protein in the form of milk in the morning and um, they might have a little bit of lunch uh of protein at lunchtime, as in tuna or chicken or cheese within a sandwich. And then in the evening, they might have something like a, a steak, um, fish, um, or some other form of meat um, with their evening meal. Um, now, if you're vegetarian, uh, 
then obviously you wouldn't perhaps be choosing the meat option, but you might be choosing the substitute. But those patterns still exist for a lot of people. So adding more protein will help to maintain the muscle fibers that we've already talked about and that dwindle with age. And it helps you to main physical, maintain physical and cognitive. So that's brain function. So how much do you need? The general recommendation I would say is between one and a half to two grams per kilos. And it does grow in, in amount of recommended amount as you get older, because older folks are not able to assimilate the amino acids with quite the same efficiency that they can do when they're younger. So actually, if you can, uh, just as an arbitrary figure, if you can process 50% of the amino acids you're consuming in your 30s and 40s, but you're only able to produce, uh, able to assimilate maybe 40% when you get older, you actually have to take more in to be able to get the same amount that's absorbed by the body. So that's so. what we're saying is there's a bit more wastage as you get older just because of the efficiency of bodily functions. So you need to consume more to make sure you're getting the right quantity. Okay, so I'd say between one and a half to two grams per kilo. So if you are a 60 kilo female, that means you need to take in somewhere between 90 to 120 grams per day. Now, if you, you can Google how much protein or in particular foodstuffs per 100 grams, I think you'll find around 35 grams of protein per chicken breast. So you need to eat quite a lot of chicken to get that amount. It's even more for eggs. I think it's about 20 grams per egg. Um, so um, Google how, well, write down what you eat. Try to work out what the protein quantity is and then try to work out A, uh, how much you need per day and B, where you're going to get that from. If you're a 75 kilo male, you're probably going to need somewhere in the order of 110, 120 grams to 250 grams per day. So that's quite a significant amount. And most folks are definitely not consuming that. Now, for older folks, the benefit is that eating protein on its own won't maintain muscle mass. But not eating enough protein may accelerate the decline in muscle mass and function. So in an ideal world, you would eat more protein and you would combine that with doing some regular strength activity to stimulate the growth of muscle mass. If you don't do that, then just eating the protein might help you to maintain what you've got. Um, not eating enough, that then you're in dire straits, really. So the question is, what type of foods? Well, there's no doubt that meats have a more complete amino acid profile in them. So if you can eat red meat or if you're able, uh, ethically, morally uh, happy with eating meat, then I definitely recommend that. I know some folk will say, well, what about the research that says that eating red meats leads to more heart disease? I haven't done any research on this myself. My instinct is that if you eat good quality meat and you combine that with exercise and a healthy lifestyle, you're probably going to be okay. If you eat poor quality meat and you're not exercising and you're eating other junk food, then that's probably going to point you more towards heart disease. Okay, I've not seen any research that, that, that actually has examined what happens if healthy people are eating red meat on a regular basis. But you don't have to just eat red meat. You can have chicken, you can have fish. If you're a vegetarian, then there are lots and lots of options. But what I would do is encourage you to research what those options are to make sure that you know exactly where they're coming, where, where they are, what they are, and how they're going to fit into your daily nutritional profile. Now, I know some of you probably say, well, I can take supplements. Yes, you can. And if you get the right way supplements, then they're very, very good. But you, again, you need to do your research on which ones are which ones are the best. If you're an athlete, you should be concerned about supplements and what other substances they may have in them. So they need to have that stamp that says they have been um, activated. I can't think what it's called right now, but... Um, uh, this is sort of like a licensing agency that uh, 
stamps the fact that these are ethically produced and they're not containing any additives and they've all been tested. Protein powder is probably the most economic, but it's not a replacement for real food. In fact, whey powder is probably just is just milk um, dried out and then with the whey taken out and then repackaged. So you're just getting part of it. Um, I would say if, if possible, you always want to eat real food, but of course, uh, sometimes it's just not possible. Or maybe you need to supplement because you need a larger quantity of protein. If there are times when you can't have a full meal and you need an alternative, that's absolutely fine. But please don't let it just become an excuse for you to be lazy with your food planning and your food preparation. Um, If you're running uh, at the track on an evening and you've then got a drive to get home and you don't want to be eating it until nine o'clock because you want to, uh, you value sleep, then you might think, well, I'll just take a protein drink and I'll drink it on the way home. That's fine. But what is wrong with um, a Tupperware container of um, rice and chicken or rice and tuna that you could have made up earlier on in the day and kept in a little cool bag. Uh, you could probably spend five or ten minutes eating that. Worst comes to worst, um, you can make yourself a sandwich. And of course, whilst we're saying that bread is processed, you could have a sandwich made out of sourdough bread and full of cheese and that sort of thing. So th- there are options for you uh, ahead of using whey powder as a replacement. So as I said, if you're vegan or vegetarian, then please do your research. Animal-based foods tend to be the best sources of complete protein. Plant-based foods tend to often lack at least one essential amino acid. So it takes more effort. And that is generally what we come right down to when we're talking to athletes about their nutrition programs is plan and prepare the food that you want to have in the house and the meals that you're going to create. All right, one final thing for you. Number five on my list of actions that I think you can take to help you manage the anti or manage the aging process. Anti-aging actions, we'll call them. Less aerobic work more hit work. Now, this might seem counterintuitive because hit work is explosive. High intensity training requires short bursts of really high power output. And you may think, well, that's exactly the sort of thing that's going to cause injury. And it's also the sort of thing that when it's repeated a few times, in the short space of time is going to give you a really high heart rate and you you will be forgiven for thinking that this is going to put a strain on your heart and it could lead to a heart incident. Now, you might be right there, but if you've been training for quite a while, I would think that as an uh, aerobic athlete, you have a well-developed aerobic system and you've got strong heart and, uh, set of heart and lungs, a strong set of lungs and a strong heart. So your cardiovascular and your pulmonary system will be well-trained. If you're at all concerned, then you probably should be getting a checkup on a regular basis to make sure nothing uh, untoward is going to happen. But let's assume that you're healthy and you haven't got any problems. Your aerobic system, which is really well-developed over a number of years, probably does not require the same amount of activity each year to maintain this level. But the things that you're losing are strength and top end power. You probably lose top end power because you're losing strength. And so therefore, you can't get your legs to push around the same load as they did when you were younger. And therefore, you aren't able to get your heart rate up to the same levels and you aren't going to get to quite the same percentage of max as you were before. But that doesn't mean you can't try. So I don't believe that you need to avoid high intensity work and actually if you're racing regularly you probably do get up to that level intensity it just takes you a little bit of a while to get up there i'm not saying you need to introduce masses of high intensity work as well but what i am saying is please don't discard this type of training because you think it's bad for you as you get older there are ways around that 
I think you probably need to go around 85 to 90 percent. If you know you can go a bit higher and you know that you can cope with that and recover from it, then I think that's fine. If you are not comfortable with it or you haven't done that for a while, then I think it might be um, a little risky to go straight into that, but you can work up to it over time. Uh, I know the Norwegians have this way of training now. It says that if you're doing anything where you are working so hard that you feel the need to bend over, put your hands on your thighs and just heave the breath in, then that's probably going too hard. Um, I think once per week is fine. It may take you longer to recover from that sort of work than it did when you were younger because of all the things that we mentioned early on. So maybe once per week. If you're going to do it twice per week, you need to experiment with how many days that you need in between. Certainly running is going to take way more out of you than cycling, and that's going to take way more out of you than swimming. Um, Ability to get up to that intensity in swimming may be related to your technique. Um, In running, you'll definitely be working harder, and that may lead you to um, be more at risk of injury Uh, Certainly in that sport, because of the explosive nature of doing the work and and how that changes the firing patterns of of, um, the hamstrings and the calves. So you, again, um, if you wanted to avoid that in running and do your hip work in the the pool and on cycling, that's fine. Um, But for those of you who've been running a long time, you don't have any injury problems, then again, it it should be okay. Um, VO2 max work is, is pretty high intensity, so maybe you want to avoid that. Um, But just remember that the goal here is just to keep us higher level of VO2 max into older age so that you might maintain aerobic function. Now, you remember earlier on, I talked about having the strength to do things like walk up the stairs if the elevator or the escalator was out of order. Maybe you want to go for a moderate pace walk in the countryside for an hour. Um, Think about what you can research, what sort of VO2 max level you need to be able to do that or to be able to run Um, a mile in 10 minutes and research what level of um, fitness you'll need in your 80s to be able to do that and then work back to where you're at now and what you need to do in between to maintain that level of fitness. So for a lot of folks getting older, it's not just about athletic performance, it's about human function first. So how do you do this? Well, Peter Atier and Michael Joyner, who was a guest of Peter Atier's on a, a podcast recently, Michael Joyner's an exercise physiologist and doctor and well-known endurance runner talked about um, four by four minutes. Now that that's probably at your FTP. Um, that sort of work doesn't need to be explosive. Uh, we're not talking about sprinting. We're talking about a good long warm up. And you might find that that is something that becomes more important to you as you get older is taking longer to warm up, whether you, you might want to take that, but you probably find you also need a longer warm up. And then you're going to do four minutes at around 90% of maximal heart rate and effort. So it's it's hard work. Your breathing is just on the verge of being uncomfortable. Um, if, you, if you're on the bike and using power, you, you're operating somewhere around 95 to 100% of your FTP. And you're going to go for three or four minutes. And then you take four minutes recovery. Now, if you need longer than that to recover in between the reps, that's fine. What we're trying to do is get you up to working at that level. If you're still worried about injury, then think about including more of the things that we talked about earlier. More strength, more mobility work to build a more resilient body so that you guard against injury. Okay, because the most important thing in all of this work that we've talked about is that it's going to help you to become more consistent. And I think you probably already discovered by now in your athletic career that if you do a lot of high-intensity training and you don't recover, then your immune system gets compromised. And so even if you don't get injured, you may get ill and you have to spend a bit of time in bed and it takes a bit longer to get back into training and then you lose your fitness again. So the trick is never to get injured and ill as little as possible. Okay, so that is it from me. Um, I'm going to summarize now. Getting old is inevitable. 
the chronological aging process we can't do anything about. As each day ticks by, then our clock, our chronological clock, or calendar moves on as well. Um, it can be depressing, but there are other two other aging as well that you probably want to measure yourself by. One's physical aging. So if you're an endurance athlete and you are 60, there's a good chance that your physical age is the equivalent of a normal person, a less active person who is in their 30s or 40s. Okay, that's probably more important. And then there's the mental age. How old do you feel or how young do you feel? That's probably also quite a bit different from what it actually says on the calendar on your birth certificate. So please think about that if you're getting depressed. Um, also, if you get depressed about being old, then just think about what the alternative is. It's being dead. So I know I'd much prefer to be older than I would to be dead. The things that I've suggested you need to do more of, lift weights, move more, do some work on your balance, increase your protein consumption, do more hip work. They require effort. If you want to maintain your ability to do the things you love, you are going to have to do things that perhaps don't come naturally to you. And I saw when I asked people what they were concerned about getting older, they were saying, oh, yeah, doing all the stuff that, you know, I, I don't like doing, doing the strength and conditioning when I'd much rather be out and running. Well, you can spend an hour a day doing some stretching, doing some balance work, or doing some strength work, or you can spend a few weeks injured. Now, ask yourself which one of those you prefer. Because eventually, if you don't do that work, there's a good chance that you will get injured. And that'll mean that you can't run. You may not be able to cycle. You may not be able to swim. So what would you prefer doing? (laughs) I like to use the adage, pay now or pay later. So you can pay a little bit now, every day, and get this stuff done. Or if you don't do it and you get injured you probably will pay later in a much bigger way and it'll, it will bother you mentally as well as physically. It's your choice, of course. These are just my suggestions. I know some of you think that my suggestions uh, and my ideas and my philosophies are great and I, know, and I know there's some people who've written to me to say that they've taken on board these messages and it's made a massive positive difference on their life and, that, and that's fantastic and I really, really appreciate um the effort some people are making to 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 do this work and and change their mindset and change their approach to extend their athletic careers um for the rest of you it is a personal choice uh, it's it's not just what i'm saying go out and do your own research read the books read the magazine articles speak to your physio speak to your friends who are exercise physiologists and coaches they're probably all going to tell you a very similar message, maybe delivered in a slightly different way. So that is it from me for today. All right. I appreciate you listening to the podcast today. As always, I know there's a lot of choice out there. So thank you very much for choosing to listen to this podcast. I've talked about a lot of things and I mentioned a lot of links and you will find those in um, the show notes below. To make sure you don't miss any episode in the future, please can you go to iTunes, search for High Performance Human Triathlon Podcast and subscribe. Now, if you're interested in diving deeper into any of the topics we've um, discussed today, we've created a membership program which allows me to provide more in-depth, exclusive content and programs so we don't have to have paid ads on the show. And it's my goal to ensure all of the members in my SWAT group get back much more than the price of the subscription. And so to that end, the membership includes benefits like access to a growing library of training plans for all sorts of endurance events, coming triathlon, duathlon, aquabike, swim run, exterior, grand fondo, cycle races, ultra trail runs, marathons, as well as more focused plans to help you build mobility and strength, as well as boosting specific aspects of your fitness like FTP or CSS pace in the pool and we also have monthly workshops that are exclusive to SWAT members um, and they cover a whole range of different subjects uh, and they they change from month to month we have free access to the educational workshops on things like nutrition sleep strength and many more we have discounts on partner products that I believe in and use myself and 
which I do not get paid to promote and those are growing. So um, if you want to learn more and access these member only benefits, please visit my website, simonward.co.uk. Click on the work with me button and then the swap button. And you'll also find a link to this in the show notes below. If you want to find out more about me, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram and YouTube as the Triathlon Coach or Triathlon Coach. And also please feel free to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. There's a link in the show notes below. So that's all for this week. Thanks for being here again and I will see you on the next episode.